The peace of Christ be with you. Someone joked on the way in that half the congregation was out there, but I figure better out there than at Pete's. If I was in the South, I'd make that joke about the Baptist. In joy and even in laughter, let us settle ourselves into the presence of the Spirit. I invite you to take about three deep breaths and be made aware that you are held in the care of God and in this house of prayer. Sisters and brothers, let us worship the living God. It is the last Sunday of Eastertide, and I invite you to be our percussion section one more time. Grab your hymnal so you can provide the stamping sound of trampling down death by death. This uh, music tradition comes from the Eastern Orthodox Church, and today's setting of it, it comes from Kiev. join me. Come into this space unafraid. You are welcome here. We receive God's open arms. Know that you are surrounded by others who seek a faith that equips you for your daily life. We receive the gift of community and the blessings of fellow travelers. We will sing hymn number 388. may be seated. I do share grace and peace with you in the name of Christ, 
and a warm welcome to this place, this house of worship for all peoples. We're glad that you are here, whether this is your first time, you're visiting. We know visiting a church is a hard thing to do, so we hope you feel at ease here. Or whether you've been coming for a long, long time, your presence makes this place a sacred community. I invite you to stop by the welcome table if you're new after the service and give us your information so that we could reach out to you. If you'd like to know more about the life of this wonderful church, I encourage you to look around, find somebody with a name tag, and uh, connect with them after the service. And if you're one of those people with a name tag, please reach out to someone you don't recognize. Also, feel free to talk to one of us. Friends, as we come together, I invite you to join me in the community prayer which is printed in your bulletin. Let us pray. God, you know us completely. You know our actions and our intentions. You know our successes and the moments in which we fall short. Help us to recognize this as good news, not cause for worry. Help us to recognize that you are there not only to forgive us, but also to lift us up and teach us to be more gracious with ourselves and others. Give us the courage not to sweep the more difficult things under the rug, to engage in revisionist history out of the discomfort it brings. Bless us with the ability to be reflective that we might learn and grow. Amen. Our prayers continue in quiet. Friends, hear the good news of the gospel. In Jesus Christ we are made new. The old has passed away and the new has come. So know that we have been forgiven and be at peace. Amen. This time I invite the children forward for a time of discovery with Bethany. Good morning. Hello, hello. So I wanted to share with you today something that I enjoy doing. Sometimes when I want to relax or when I just want to sort of have a little fun by myself. Maybe some of you enjoy doing this. It's called dot to dot. Or sometimes it's called connect the dots, right? So I have this book that I like doing. It's called extreme dot to dot. And it's called Extreme Dot to Dot because each of the pages has like hundreds of dots on it. Can you guys see that? Look how teeny tiny they are. Sometimes I think I need glasses to do this. Hundreds and hundreds of dots on these pages, but you can make some cool things. Let me show you a couple that I did. This is a seahorse. You can kind of tell. See, there's the eye of the seahorse and a bunch of coral. See that? Here's another one. This one, I think it's maybe an iguana. See the big eye here and then the curly tail in a tree? Maybe. And here's one that I've just started. I think 
it's gonna be a giraffe. Look at that. See, see that, see, see that neck? I think maybe it's gonna be a giraffe. This one's gonna take a while. It has 1,300 dots in it. Whoa! But it's it's awfully fun. Um, and then I noticed today. I don't know how many of you picked up one of these. There's actually a connect the dots on this on this worship bulletin. I don't know if any of you have done it, but I tried to do it too. But so when I'm doing connect the dots, I love it because how of how each dot is connected to the next one. And when I do it, I often think about, I sort of let my mind wander a little bit. I kind of think about all the people I'm connected to and how I'm connected to them. And then I think even bigger that really I'm kind of connected to everyone, right? I'm connected to each one of you. I'm connected to each one of them. We're connected through God's love. We're connected when we pray for and with one another. And then I was letting my mind wander and thinking about all the wonderful ways I'm connected to people. And then I realized I forgot a couple dots. So I don't know if you can see this, but I left out, see how I left out eight and nine there? Which means that Jesus' feet are kind of just sitting over there all by themselves. They're not connected to anything. I left out the feet of Jesus, how dare I? And that reminded me, that reminded me how important each one of us are in our connectedness, right? If any of us are missing, it makes a difference. The picture changes. Each one of us makes, makes the picture something really neat. So I hope this week you might think about how you're connected to other people, connected in love, connected through prayer, connected by the kind things we do and say to each other, because each one of us are important in this world. Each one of us are connected to one another. So start with this, and then maybe one day you'll work your way up to this, because it's a lot of fun. But remember that connectedness. I certainly really love that I'm connected to all of you. All right? So Jeff's waiting out there for you for Sunday school. Follow him. Go now in peace, go now in peace. May the love of God surround you everywhere, everywhere you may go. Come on up. So I want to introduce to you Maria Adkins. She's here to share a special word with us about our capital campaign. Thanks, Maria. Hi, my name is Maria. I'm in seventh grade, and I've been part of this church for five or six years, I think. And so I did the Christmas pageant when I was in elementary school, and I've been up here a few times for little announcements and such. And what I love is that this church has always been a safe space for me. And so when my little brother Wilson and I came up here when we were little kids, we weren't quite tall enough to reach the microphone, but someone provided a stool so our voices could be heard. And the church has always been that supportive and helpful to young people. That's why it's important to me that we plan for the future. I want all young people to feel as safe in this building as I do. Thank you for listening to the young voices of this congregation. And thank, and thank you to Maria. Maria and, and the younger children you saw earlier is one of the real reasons we're doing this project. You have always made this a safe place spiritually and emotionally for children and for adults. Uh, but physically, much of this building is not safe were an earthquake to come, for example. You're in the only seismically safe building right now on this campus. 
So we are working hard to change that and to grow our space so that we can grow our ministry for the sake of Jesus Christ. On that note, as we begin our joys and concerns, I'm thrilled to offer this joy, a great joy. Uh, A couple of weeks ago, we had an advanced commitments event, a chance for those who felt prepared to make an early gift for this campaign to make a pledge. And uh, to date, after that early event, we've raised just shy of $1.8 million. I get moved when I, um, when I was practicing that announcement. That's a lot of money. Um, I shouldn't be surprised because I know how generous you are, but I never cease to be amazed by it. So thank you for your generosity. Um, I know you join me in thanking God for the generosity of this congregation. And I simply ask that we just pray now. We pray uh, for our June 3rd event, which is the opportunity for the rest of us to make our pledges. You'll be getting a mailer right before that event uh, with a pledge card so that the rest of us can make our pledges and hopefully get all the way to our goal so we can uh, uh, take care of the house that God has given us. And with that, I open it up for joys and concerns. I would just add, uh, as we begin our joys and concerns together, the fact that it's Mother's Day today. Um, certainly a joy for those who are celebrating the day with joy, but also just a reminder that this is not necessarily a joyful day for everyone. And so we hold in our hearts those for whom Mother's Day is often a difficult day, but prayers on this Mother's Day for all of you. And now, do any of you have any joys or concerns to share? Denny. Look at that. The joy of a visiting son. Absolutely. Other joys or concerns? Barb. So a joy of memories of the suffragette movement and a reminder to vote on this Mother's Day in the upcoming elections. And also um, prayers, thinking of those mothers who may be coming across the border with their children and perhaps facing separation from their children. Ruthie, did you have one? So a joy that a quartet from our choir was able to participate in a fundraiser at St. Andrew in Marin City, and also a joy that they are continuing the tradition of the African-American gospel singing there. And it was wonderful. And it was wonderful. There you go. Many of our Westminster folks were there in support. Yeah, Ron.
Prayers for the effort of a cancer center for children being built in Africa. Yeah, Lynn. So prayers for Barbara, who recently passed away, who was a mother figure for you. And also a reminder that you know, many, many people are mother figures in our lives, many ways to be a mother. Um, and then a, a young girl who is going to have an operation for spina bifida this week. Let's take a few moments in quiet, and then I'll lead us in the Lord's Prayer. So let us pray together. Gracious God, you hear the prayers of your people, and they're offered in the name of the one who teaches us to pray together, saying, Our who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we
the scripture reading today is from John 17, 6 through 19. I have made your name known to those whom you gave me from the world. They were yours and you gave them to me and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything you have given me is from you. For the words that you gave to me, I have given to them, and they have received them, and know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I'm asking on their behalf. I'm not asking on behalf of the world, but on behalf of those whom you gave me, because they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I have been glorified in them, and now I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I'm coming to you. Holy Father, protect them in your name that you have given me, so that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I protected them in your name that you have given me. I guarded them, and not one of them was lost, except the one that was destined to be lost, so that the scriptures could be fulfilled. But now I'm coming to you, and I speak these things in the world, so that they may have my joy made complete in themselves. I've given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they do not belong to the world, just as I do not belong to the world. I'm not asking you to take them out of the world, but I ask you to protect them from the evil one. They do not belong to the world, just as I do not belong to the world. Sanctify them in your truth. Your word is the truth. And you have sent me into the world. So I have sent them into the world. And for their sakes, for their sakes, I sanctify myself. So that they may also be sanctified in truth. This is holy wisdom, holy word. Thanks be to God. All mine are yours and all yours are mine. What a beautiful image that is. The second reading comes from the opening chapter of the book of Acts, verses 15 to 26. I invite you to listen for the voice of the Spirit. In those days, Peter stood up among the believers. Together, the crowd numbered about 120 people and said, friends, the scripture had to be fulfilled which the Holy Spirit through David foretold concerning Judas, who became a guide for those who arrested Jesus. For he was numbered among us and was allocated his share in this ministry. Now this man acquired a field with the reward of his wickedness, and falling headlong, he burst open in the middle, and all his bowels gushed out. Welcome to church. This became known to all the residents of Jerusalem so that the field was called in their language Hachel Dama, that is, field of blood. For it is written in the book of Psalms, let his homestead become desolate and let there be no one to live in it and let another take his position of overseer. So one of the men who have accompanied us throughout the time that the Lord Jesus went out among us beginning from the baptism of John until the day when he was taken up from us, one of these must become a witness with us to his resurrection. 
So they proposed two. Joseph called Barsabbas, who was also known as Justice, and Matthias. Then they prayed and said, Lord, you know everyone's heart. Show us which one of these two you have chosen to take the place in this ministry and apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. And they cast lots for them, and the lot fell on Matthias. And he was added to the eleven apostles. Friends, this is holy wisdom, holy word. Thanks be to God. Well, wow, I go away for a week of vacation and a week for a preaching workshop, and I come back to Judas, the one who so famously betrayed the Lord with a kiss. So much for easing back into it. Why the gory details of that story? It seems a little much. It seems unsuitable for church. It certainly makes you want to uh, avert your eyes. To be honest, the lectionary, and to be fair, actually omitted that passage, apparently in good sense. Uh, It's 18 to 20 is the part that they excised. I put it back in because I can't resist. Every time they cut something out, I think they're hiding something from me. And so, like a child, I go right there. In defense of the lectionary, the lectionary, which is this three-year cycle of biblical readings which guides worship in a lot of churches, and most of the time, our church, they treat Sunday, it treats Sunday as a, as a little Easter every week, because the assumption is that good Christians are reading Scripture every day throughout the week, and so the Sunday text should be especially celebratory. Uh, I'll repeat that, that you're to be reading Scripture every day, yeah, okay. And so we leave the difficult readings for the week and we celebrate on Easter, which is every Sunday. But that said, I think if we're really honest, I think part of the reason the lectionary cut out that passage is simply because it's unsightly. And that truth of what happened is uncomfortable. The truth is an interesting topic. In this country, when we, when we promise to tell the truth, at least in certain settings, we say, I'll tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. And it's that second clause, which I think is particularly difficult, the whole truth. Telling the whole truth is a lot more difficult than simply not lying. And often, the telling the whole truth reveals some painful realities that we might rather avoid. The problem is, by avoiding those realities, we, we start to weave a, a different story, an incomplete story, and a story that on one level becomes untrue. Because in what's written out of the story is really important information that is actually a deep part of who we are, the fabric of our identity, whether we acknowledge it or not. The consequences are not minor. I'll give you an example. Every first and third Tuesday, 6 o'clock in the library, this is a commercial, we meet for Bible study. And we're going through the book of Mark. Uh, Seven sessions in, I think we're only about 40 verses, so we go slowly. We pay very close attention to the language and the historical context. And a couple of weeks ago, we talked for a good amount of time about one word. 
The word in your Bibles likely appears as compassion. It comes from this story. Actually, I'll say another thing. It's the same word that we encountered in the Acts story. It's, it's related to that. You see, in the modern world, we locate the seat of emotions where, metaphorically? In the heart, right? But in the ancient world, they saw it as in the gut, in the bowels, in the entrails. So in this story, Jesus encounters a leper. And it says, likely in your Bibles, he was moved with compassion. It just so turns out, though, that a lot of ancient manuscripts, perhaps older than the ones that say compassion, say something else. Jesus was moved with anger. Very different readings. Jesus was moved with compassion. Jesus was moved with anger in his gut. In biblical scholarship, there are a number of criteria scholars apply to try to figure out which rendering is the most authentic, which is the original. And one of the criteria is you always prefer the more difficult reading. Of course, that's subjective, but we'll get to that in a moment. The logic is simple. You, you understand. If, if a passage makes Jesus look worse in one rendering, that's likely the original because the incentive for the church would be to make Jesus look a little better, round out the rough edges, make him more palatable, something you can sell to the masses a little better. So it says likely the more difficult reading is true. But as I said earlier, that's subjective. But part of what happens when we, we grasp uh, a version of Jesus that we like versus the version of Jesus that actually was is we swap our values for the gospel's values and many of us are guilty of that from time to time but we also prematurely judge something as ugly when in fact it might contain some real beauty and some real truth and I would argue that in the case of anger versus compassion it comes down to perspective in this group of preachers that I met with all last week one of the a number of the uh, of my colleagues did a series a sermon series a paper sermon series on anger and one of the things that came up was that anger can actually be quite powerful and quite caring and quite important and quite righteous and maybe even divine particularly when it's anger with rather than anger against imagine you're the leper Lepers had an awful life in antiquity, and those who exist today likewise have an awful life. They're outcast, they're ostracized, they're separated from their families and means of uh, reasonable support and well-being. Jesus is angry. If I were the leper, I might feel f quite heartened by Jesus' anger at my condition and maybe even more so at the way society treats me as the result of my condition. Compassion might be nice, but as anger, I might feel really good. Feelings, well, they matter. They really matter. Even the tough ones, maybe particularly the tough ones. On the plane flight to Minneapolis, which is where this gathering was being held, I watched a documentary on Mr. Rogers that great public television uh, children's star. I, I'm, I can't wait till there's a new one coming out in June, but I discovered this one I didn't know about called Mr. Rogers and Me. And in it, someone tells a story about the eight-year-old Fred Rogers. 
who saw himself as fat and shy. His words. And he was walking home from school one day and he was being bullied. He was being followed by a number of kids who were teasing him and taunting him. And as he sped up, they sped up. Now, he made it home okay physically. But as he shared that experience, experience with trusting adults, they gave him this advice. Just act like it doesn't bother you and they'll go away. Now, that's the kind of advice I would probably give. But Rogers knew, even at eight, that that didn't sit right. That she, he shouldn't have to swallow that emotion. And the person telling the story said it was that day that Mr. Rogers was born. And he dedicated his entire life to learning, to how, learning how to express his feelings, nonviolently, I would add, but expressing them fully in ways that were constructive because when they're expressed constructively, they're far less scary. And he devoted his life to making room and giving the people the tools to do likewise. I could learn from that. I'm one who likes to squash feelings down. But he said, no, these things are important. And so it may be tempting to push away the Judas story in all of its gore. But we mustn't. We mustn't. We must be able to stare it in the face or in the gut because of what it reveals about people. Because there are people among us who are capable of that level of betrayal. And I think if we're honest, at least on some level, we're all capable of such gruesome behavior. And betrayal is gruesome, and its consequences are gruesome for the betrayer and certainly for the betrayed. Think of how much it must have hurt for Jesus. So much of his story was beautiful, and we give plenty of attention to that, but we must attend to the piece that was ugly. Betrayal is always an inside job, by definition. And Judas was very much on the inside. Not only was he one of the 12, one of the 12, he was the one trusted with the money. That was Judas's job on the team. So as beautiful as Jesus' life was, his crucifixion was that much more painful. We must look at it because it shows us what we're capable of. If nothing else, so that we might recognize what else we're capable of. What else which is so different from betrayal. The kind of good things we're capable of. The two strengthen one another. And so we must remember, even when it hurts. But there's a new memorial that has opened recently. Maybe you've read about it. It's not one that celebrates grand victories or some glorious triumph. No, it's different than that. It's in Alabama. And it's a memorial for lynching. If you've seen the pictures, there's this indoor space with a high ceiling and hanging from the ceiling are these large steel beams, totally featureless, indistinct, rusting. And I thought, what a powerful image for that awful chapter in our history Nameless, faceless objects hanging from the rafters reminding us of all those nameless, faceless people who were put to death in that awful way more recently in this country than we might like to acknowledge. Does anybody know when the last lynching was in the United States? 
1981. Closer than we'd like to think. They used to sell postcards of lynching. You can go online and see them, pictures of them, that you would send as postcards. I read a month ago about a, a, an article about a high school that had just, had just painted over a mural in their gym that depicted a lynching. It's close. Makes us want to look away. But we have to look at it so we can recognize what we can be so we can be something else. I don't think uh, they hang the beams that way over us simply to have them loom over us and make us feel guilty and shameful, though a little bit of penance might do us good. I think it's intended to lift our eyes so we can just simply see the truth and to lift our consciousness so that we might commit ourselves to something greater than what we have been in some of our worst moments. But you know, I was only half right, maybe not even half, but I grade on a curve, about my interpretation of those beams. They don't represent individuals. For etched on those beams are names You see, each beam is a county in Alabama, and they list name after name after name of people who were lynched there. It's heavy. Now, there is another place on the property where very much these otherwise nameless figures are given shape and texture, very detailed statues which show clearly faces and agony, and that is right too, as hard as it is to look at, because it reminds us that those people did not only have names, but they had faces, and they had feelings and, and emotions, and they deserve to be restored into our collective history. They deserve to again be a part of who we are, because they've always been a part of who we are. Now, a less dramatic and a less heavy example, but an important one. A couple of weeks ago, I found myself in, in elder training and deacon training, our church officers, defending our book of confessions, sort of defending it, I suppose. M- many people I would gather in a modern Presbyterian church don't even know that we have a book of confessions. It's about this thick. It's, it's a number of statements in the church throughout all of history that say what we're supposed to be about. And I'm sympathetic to the feelings it conjures up in a lot of folks that they're being told what to believe and how to think. I'm I'm sympathetic to that. I share some of that, if I'm honest. But you know, one of the things I appreciate about our book of confessions and our Reformed tradition is that as over time the church has felt called to say new things, it doesn't erase history. It doesn't wipe out the old statements, even when we've said very explicitly that we now disagree with what we said in the past. It recognizes that it's all part of who we are, and we shouldn't just whitewash over who we've been. I think that's a rather faithful witness to us. You see, the treasure of the Judas story in all of its gore, and I know treasure is a funny word to use there, is precisely that it forces us to look at it and to see it. Hopefully so that we might learn from it and become something greater, something God wants us to be. 
to get closer, if not all the way, to the whole story, into our own wholeness. Now, if this all feels a little depressing on a day like this to be hearing about it, remember this. On the night that he was betrayed, what did Jesus do? He gathered his disciples, and he didn't gather 11 of them. He gathered 12. And Scripture says he knew what was coming, and still he invited Judas to be at table with him. Because on some level, Jesus knew that to be Christ, he had to commune with that side of humanity too. And on some timeline, maybe in one greater than we can understand, it seems that Jesus doesn't give up easily on people, the hope for their redemption and their transformation, their healing, their being made whole. And perhaps as followers of this Jesus, we shouldn't give up so easily either. And, and as Acts reminds us, the people of Jesus didn't wait around forever. They also moved on. And they got to, down to the work of the church. They did replace Judas. They voted in someone new to take his place so they could push forward, not in denial, but in faithfulness. You see, both uh, holding out hope for transformation and the redemption and moving on and getting on with it, both of these are faithful responses to that tragic episode. And both require a full field of view an honest look at what had happened and who we, they were and who we are. You see, I, I think we're tempted to want to avoid these things and look away because we've made the stakes so high in our society of changing our minds. And so we must defend at all costs where we are. And if I think we know on some level that if we saw the whole truth, we might have to change our minds, and that's hard. But there's another way. There's another way. Meister Eckhart, the great mystic of the Middle Ages, Christian mystic, says to us that it is actually through seeing fully, not partially, not with blinders on or patches, it is through seeing fully that we see not only what's around us in the other or in ourselves, but we see God herself in her fullness or in his fullness. This is what he says. It's right in your bulletins. It says, a man, and he could have easily said a woman, born blind, can easily deny the magnificence of a vast landscape. He can easily deny all the wonders that he cannot touch, smell, taste, or hear. But one day, the wind will show its kindness. And I remind you that it is a kind wind that the Spirit is. One day the wind will show its kindness and remove the tiny patches that cover your eyes and you will see God more clearly than you have ever seen yourself. Now what could be more suitable for church than seeing God more clearly? Even if it means you have to look through the gut of Judas. Amen.
You may be seated. I want to highlight just a couple of things coming up in the life of our church. First, you heard Rob mention earlier that June 3rd is our big commitment Sunday where we will make our pledges for the capital campaign. The night before that, on June 2nd, is our celebration banquet. Know that all are welcome. It is a celebration, not just of our capital campaign, but of our life together as a faith community. Uh, Sandy Smith and Deb Babe will be in the narthex after worship looking for your RSVP. They would love to hear from you either yes if you're planning on attending or no if you're not planning on attending. So stop by and see Sandy and Deb and just let them know. But we do hope that you will be there with us on June 2nd. Next week, following worship, we are having our new member orientation. If you're new to the church or interested in becoming a member, we invite you to attend. Let Rob or me know or let the church office know this week if you're planning to come. We have a packet of information we can give you even today if you're interested in being a part of that, so let us know. Uh, And finally, I probably could have said this during the joys and concerns, but what a great joy this coming weekend on Saturday, San Francisco Theological Seminary is holding its graduation for this year. We have many people associated with Westminster who are graduating from the seminary. Both Patrice Drew and Brooke Scott, who are Westminster members, are getting their Masters of Divinity degrees. Also, Becca Rhodes, who was our Christian Ed Director for a year. Joe Chapman, who was our summer in all receiving their Masters of Divinity. And we also have a certain someone receiving his Doctor of Ministry degree. So congratulations in advance. And next Sunday following worship, we're going to have just a little reception for all of our SFTS graduates, as well as a recognition of our high school graduates. So I hope you will be here next week for all of the celebrations All right, I invite you now to stand as you are comfortable for our closing hymn. It's number 765.
And now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God who is Father and who is Mother of all of us, the sweet communion of the Holy Spirit be with you this day, be with you every day. Amen.